Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for his sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. I'm Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join me for today's program. We've been in an amazing series on discipleship, which is the heartbeat of this program. Our desire is to equip you to share your faith, to live on mission, and to disciple those around you, who then make other disciples, and so on. Our desire is for the local church to be strengthened by their congregation's efforts. Congregations do not end up being spectators and consumers, but vital and important parts of the ministry of the local church and the greater church worldwide. In an age where clergy are expected to do everything, or we're always hiring new staff members and trying new programs, my hope is we can equip our people to be the strongest advocates for the gospel, the most effective ministers, the community chaplains that are so vital to not only to gospel movements, but also church strengthening and community influence. Last week, we talked about why Jesus started with 12. And indeed, that was an important and strategic movement because as human beings, we can only take on so much. Even in the ministry, single pastors at times lose their effectiveness past 50 members with no help. One human being can only really take on so many people. Larger churches have systems in place and technologies and interns and other ways that they can maximize their effectiveness. You may be even in a community where that's not available. We might be calling on you to be that person who can lead someone in the discipleship process, who can live on mission, and someone who can make a difference in your community. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus modeled discipleship with the Twelve. For example, there's a few different versions of this. Rick Warren has parent, paysetter, and peer model, where when someone is young in the faith, you spiritually parent them. They can't do anything for themselves, and you must make yourself available to them so that they can grow and they can kind of get their legs under them and get a foundation. And then after a while, they, you kind of give them more to do, much as you saw it with Jesus and the disciples. At first, he was teaching them everything, and then as they continued their ministry with them, you saw how he would have them assist him and be on site and sit under his teaching, but also assist with the day-to-day operations. And then eventually he sends them out and they are empowered to teach and preach and do things in his name. And that's a model for how we do things here. It's hard to do that from a pulpit with large groups of people. And so what we need is People who are willing, whether it's through the education ministry of your local church or through groups or through parachurch or through other avenues to create those relationships and empower our people to be used by God in their social circles and in their community, and especially in equipping the saints and helping them on their spiritual progression. Another version of this was from the Master Plan of Discipleship, which was an eight-part version of that three-parter, which is selection, association, consecration, impartation, demonstration, delegation, supervision, and reproduction. That is a longer and more thorough 
version, and I like it because our people need to be equipped and they need to show themselves worthy. I think that for people to begin this process, it's important that you set expectations. We should begin with an expectation. First of all, everyone who takes someone on to disciple should do so with the intention that that person will one day be a fully functional disciple and that they will be able to disciple others, that they will one day be able to be commissioned out. And your relationship with them, again, will be a peer and a friend and a mentor, but at the same time, they will be autonomous and capable because you taught them. My friend Ben talked about the difference between a translator and a teacher. As someone who translates as someone, it goes through you, and you translate to them, and they're wholly dependent upon you. But our desire as disciplers is to teach them how to then master this and be able to be effective and reproducible themselves. And so Jesus modeled this in the Gospels, with, and you could see how those 12 were deeply influenced by this. That is a model that goes in the face of our current trends that are very technologically and programmatic. Those cannot handle it alone. So as I think about this, I want to pose a question to you. Where do Christian leaders come from? And how much more quickly could we produce quality Christian leaders if the congregations engage in this mandate? For example, for a lot of people, they came through programmatic ministry, they go to Bible college, they go to seminary, they come out, and they become professional pastors. And those pastors end up doing the most of the teaching, the preaching, and then most of the congregation is relegated to more administrative servant functions, which is great. Some people don't like to be up front. They would just be willing to pass the plate or park the cars. But the thing is, is that a higher percentage of our congregations need to be equipped and comfortable in sharing their faith and making disciples. To walk in that parent pace setting peer or the eight steps from the master plan of discipleship, both of which are just fine, that allow you to see the person come in and make some mistakes and learn and grow and ask difficult questions and get to the point where they can believe. But every person who begins discipling someone should begin with the goal that that person is going to then be able to do this with someone else. And when they sign on to be discipled, that expectation needs to be communicated from the beginning. So for church leadership, we need to have a better feeder system for people who just aspire to be deacons, Sunday school teachers, lay theologians, people who are going to be integral in the life of the church from a spiritual standpoint, because not everyone is going to go to seminary. We need to have a system in place where the pastor doesn't always have to teach those classes, where the associates don't always have to teach that classes. What happens when you have a godly head deacon, head elder, who is capable to bring those people along, especially young men and young women who are entering adulthood? We need to have opportunities for them to be mentored and apprenticed in leadership aspects of the church so that we can set that up. Because Another issue that we have is with the professional clergy model is that those people oftentimes are at their church anywhere from three, five, seven, maybe 10 years at a time. And if there is someone or several people within your local community who are tied to the church long-term, they can provide that stability to help people progress in those leadership functions and be able to, to grow in maturity and leadership and be able to lead new moms and dads, married couples, people who are going to be taking on leadership roles at the church. If you have that person 
or those people where there's that consistency across the board. Pastors can come and go, but you know that that discipleship process and that leadership development process will continue uninterrupted. By the way, it's okay to use tech. You can have Zoom meetings. You can use the technology, but there's got to be people on the other end of the technology, kind of like this show. My hope is that this program is less about being consumed by people than empowering people to then themselves have influence in their community. That's the strength of Christ's model. His believers came with them and they spent time with God. The first thing we have to do as a disciple maker is we must abide in Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Even in Acts 1.8, what we forget is the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit must be part of this. We must be abiding in Christ. We must be keeping in our spiritual disciplines. We must be intentional in our study because apart from God, we can do nothing. But in Christ, with this preparation and with our intentionality and our obedience, God can do amazing things with flawed people such as ourselves. And in some cases, it's not something that runs in competition to the local church. It's something that complements and supports the local church. This is not to say that every discipleship program has to be run programmatically from a church. It just means the members of that church should be discipling people and being discipled themselves. And that can take on a variety of different forms and different functions. But I think that it's important that we embrace this so that we can see the influence reach further into our community. Because we can all get books and we can watch content online and we can even chat and text message each other. But again, I don't want to see our churches get bottlenecked where everything has to go through them. The pastors of our churches would love nothing more than if they invest in you and you and then invest in others. That when you're taking on the opportunity to disciple someone, to share your faith with someone, to bring them along, to develop future leaders, I believe that that's all things that should happen under the supervision and support of a local church. I believe they can work powerfully. That's why, my friend, Christ started with 12. It's 12 people changed the world. Whenever you see them in Scripture, they're just like us. And you see the transformation that happens in their life and in their leadership. Two things you should consider when taking on a disciple that they should consider before taking on with you. Luke chapter 14 asks us to count the cost. Verse 27 says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33 concludes, So therefore anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It goes on to say, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Friend, in a discipleship relationship, this needs to be part of the conversation. We have a lot of unfinished disciples out there. People we intended to disciple, people we intended to teach, a lot of students who intended to move forward in their progression but failed to do so. Count the cost. Ask them. That's why the smaller group is more conducive to this because when you're preaching to the masses, there's only so much accountability and support you can offer someone. But when you take on someone or take on a small group, 
you're able to give some grace, but also some accountability to move forward. And as you're choosing someone, choose wisely. There's a reason there's a small group because as human beings, we only have a limited capacity. If someone is not taking it seriously, they need to just go on to someone else. But if we find people who want to grow, we'll find people who will take this on and their, their life will continue to change and grow and mold on. And then they in turn will become someone who can make a disciple, who makes a disciple, who makes a disciple. And in so doing, this, my friend, is what healthy growth looks like. This will result in new churches being started. This will result in lives transformed. And just in terms of being able to be an influence on our culture, we'll see people view current events through proper perspectives and live healthy and purposeful lives. Before we go, please don't forget to take the challenge. Find someone to disciple. Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's a friend, someone that's close to you, or maybe you just take a chance on someone that you believe in. This program wants to see the people in our churches embrace their vital role as someone who makes disciples. The Great Commission says for us to make disciples of all nations, and that is not listed as a specific spiritual gift. That is a mandate to all of us. And so everyone can find someone to disciple, to pour into. You might be thinking, Mike, what am I going to do? I've never done this before. At very minimum, do core four. Do a scripture, talk about it, prayer, time, and who's close to you but far from God. Those four things are a great starting point for someone who has no resources and no abilities. But if you have a Bible, you can do that. Again, walk through certain books that are helpful. I'll have some on my website that you can look for suggested resources. Please consider taking this next step. We're out of time, but I'm so excited about this series. We're going to continue in this conversation in our next week's episode, and I look forward to continuing this conversation with you about discipleship. Thank you for joining me today, and I'll see you on our next episode of Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher, Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio.